Hello, I I am the guest. I am the host of Tony and Time Dale. My name is Antonio Myers. I have an amazing guest. Her name is Michelle E. Dickinson. Um, I I love that she has been an author, TEDx speaker. She teaches compassion and resilience, and she transforms the mental health stigma in the workplace. Um, her book, Breaking Into My Life, was written to help herself along with the rest of us better understand the world of mental illness. My story of perseverance and triumph helps challenge and transform the suffer and silence dynamic it makes mental illness more understood, treated, and accepted. I am out to do my part to eliminate the stigma. These are her words. By normalizing mental conversation in workplaces and within the first responder community, I partner with innovative leaders to bring my programs and mental health strategies to help them cultivate cultures of compassion for those living with or caring for those with invisible disabilities. My resilience webinar has made an impact with empowering hundreds of employees during COVID-19 quarantine. Um, those are her lovely words, and my lovely guest, Michelle Dickinson, is here. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me, Antonio. It's great to be here. Uh, thank you. Um, wow. You, you've made the interview much easier because you only have three. Okay. <laughs> Number one. Um, okay, here are the ten. But this, we'll stick with the three, then see if the 10 interview will work. So you grew up loving, caring for your mother who has bipolar. What has that been like? It's a journey for anyone who loves someone with a mental illness. It can be extremely punishing and difficult to love them and support them, especially when they're going through an episode or having a challenge. So it was very trying experience to care for my mom growing up and into my adult years. Um, yeah, it was, it was very hard. It shaped me into who I've become and has created an advocate out of it. And so if I didn't experience that, I probably wouldn't be so intimately connected to mental health and mental illness. Mm -hmm. So I take it that to, but that's a delicate um, subject and, I, and I'm choosing my words carefully because so many thoughts. So I know that must have been a complex thing, um, juggling act to love the human being first, mm -hmm. but then to have but to see them wrestle with something that I can't even put into words. Yeah. It, it makes me uh, speechless in that sense. Mm -hmm. Sometimes words don't do justice. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was essentially the reversal of a mother and a daughter, right? The daughter was caring for the mother. Um, and so, it was extremely challenging, you know, depression for a bipolar person can be outright debilitating. So I witnessed my mom, 
you know, crying and there was nothing I could do. It's really hard to be with someone that you can't console, that the sadness is just so heavy and so, and so thick and they can't see a way out. And so all you can really do is be there with them. Um, but you can't remove their pain. So it was hard. Wow. Yeah, the, that whole sense of feeling a helplessness that I don't know anyone who likes to feel that because, you know, it kind of kind nature that we have mm-hmm. propels us to want to do something. But when we recognize we don't have the education, Right. Or the protocol. Then the then that leads to the struggle of how to balance self kindness and being kind to a person who has something they genuinely can't help. Right. Right. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people think that people with mental illness could snap out of it, right? But we all know. Right when you're diagnosed with something and you're dealing with these emotions, it's, it's the last thing you have the, you have the power to do, you know, most people, if you ask them, they wish they could snap out of it, but they can't. So it's, it's really challenging. Um, So yeah, it definitely, you know, it's one of those experiences that uh, shaped me into the woman that I became today, you know? Um, But I would, I would also say that, your past doesn't dictate your future. So that's my challenge in my childhood. We all have some challenge or trauma or something that we've endured. Um, the power that we have is that we get to create our future irregardless of the past. Yeah, I, I, that leads me to number two. You helped mm-hmm. build the largest mental health employee resource group at a Fortune 50 company. I am, I'm deeply touched by that personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was at my last company, it was a Fortune 50 company. I worked alongside a few other leaders to create a more open conversation for people with invisible disabilities. Um, And that was through the mental health employee resource group, because we wanted to remove stigma in the workplace. You know, you think about someone who navigates mental illness and the burden of feeling like they have to keep that a secret and be embarrassed by it and not be able to be themselves. So we wanted there to be a space where, you know, people who care for loved ones with mental illness or struggle um, have a community of support and, and, and there's nothing, um, there's nothing that makes them less of an employee because they have a mental illness. So that, that was an amazing experience. We, we did a lot of great work. I watched what worked and what didn't work when you try to shift a culture and really, um, have it be a little bit different than it was. Um, but overall, uh, humanizing mental illness so people understand it and talk about it is really the way to remove stigma. Yeah, um, it's like when we've been talking so far, I'll share some vulnerability on my end. This conversation means a lot to me because I, I have 
a rocky road at times as well, mental health, mm-hmm. um, post-traumatic stress, mm-hmm. uh, trauma triggers, mm-hmm. anxiety, depression, and um, recovering from great trauma syndrome. So when I at times talk with people, there were times where I I struggled to communicate what was having me feel certain feelings. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most of them came from that time period. Mm -hmm. Then there would be some now, but to know the difference between the two at times still feels uh, very puzzling mm-hmm. is the best way I could put it. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I am journeying through. I think I always will. So I understand what it's like to not even feel like you can help yourself as right. a child when it happens. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. It's definitely hard. You know, for many, many years, I didn't understand really what it was like until I got diagnosed with depression. And that happened a few years ago. And I was like, for a moment, I got to sort of get an insight into just how hard it is to do life with with depression, how hard it is to get out of bed, how hard it is to, to do things that people expect of you when you don't want to do anything, you know, so I get it. And number three, this relates to what you said, you experience depression due to a life event, reminding Mm -hmm. you that nobody's immune to mental illness at any given point in their life. Yeah. I'll say this, you don't have to share what you don't want to, but wherever you feel led to. Yeah. So for me, Antonio, I never imagined I would ever be diagnosed with something. I had always had seasonal depression. I live in the Northeast, so we get some pretty depressing winter times. So I'd always dealt with like seasonal depression and I would just exercise my way out of it or go on vacation and that would help. But I went through a divorce and it was really emotionally challenging for me. Um, And I found myself depressed and Luckily, I had a healthy relationship to therapy and got into therapy fairly quickly and was able to get support from my doctor. But it, it definitely is, um, the, the reality is that anybody can deal with a life event, the loss of a, a loved one, the loss of a job, the loss of some type of you know financial security, whatever it is. Um, so that's why we have to be talking about this because it can happen to anyone at any given time. Um, and then you, you factor in the fact that we're living through a pandemic. I mean, the pandemic has caused the CDC to say one in three Americans are currently dealing with depression or anxiety because of the pandemic. So if it's that prominent, we need to talk about it now and have help people get support. Does it work? It reminds me of the the shock, the alarming rises, suicide, drug, alcohol abuse, yeah, abuse issues, adults and children. I think that the feel good society we've created mm-hmm. has made people feel like 
you're not human if you're not comfortable. If there's something is off-putting about you, which is not true, and when you, when we have a lot of people don't have knowledge of the beauty of mental health treatment, like I've been in counseling before, I've even seen psychiatrists before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it 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 it's not helpful to a person's mental health when they're teased for actually attempting to enhance their own lives and the quality of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's it's one of those things. Like the thing that I that I've really appreciated is the ability to sort of help people get present to how they're doing because oftentimes we're we're so busy with our lives and this pandemic has forced all of us to just put our heads down and just get through it but a lot of us are not even getting present to how we're really doing we just keep going until we burn out so i you know the thing i love to do with my with my programs that i deliver is really help people take the first step and that's acknowledge how they're doing day to day because if you can acknowledge today you're really not doing well, you can reach out to someone, you can get connected to them before tomorrow is even worse than today. And you, you can head that off, but you have to be first get present to how you're doing before you escalate into a dark place. Yeah, and you've answered a lot of the questions I, I saw in your profile. Um, Try my best to respect your, your, your time. Mm-hmm. So I'll just ask about what are the five steps to cultivating a culture of compassion that you created? Sure, sure. And if you go to my website, michelledickinson.com, you'll see them there, but I'll share with you a few of them. You know, the first thing an organization can do to cultivate compassion in the workplace is openly talk about what resources they have available. A lot of resources for mental health go unnoticed and unutilized. So if they have great robust mental health support, they should be promoting that. Mm-hmm. Um, another great thing they can do is, is create an employee resource group to bring people together to support one another, their greatest assets supporting their greatest assets, you know, people supporting people. Right. Um, that's a beautiful thing. Um, The other thing that I truly believe in is storytelling. I mean, I gave my TED talk on the TED stage and because of the reaction to telling that story, I wrote my book. So it shows you the power of storytelling. People want to feel related to and connected to. So I always suggest to leaders with the companies that I work with to have a leader tell their story. You know, a leader in the company telling their story of anxiety humanizes mental health for the entire organization so because if they can deal with it well and talk about it that's pretty courageous and it gives others permission to do the same wow wow if i just recognized something like when we were trying to earlier figure out how to coordinate our meeting Mm-hmm. I think the reason why it took me a while to speak, and I have to be honest with you, that depression took over. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about the audio quality and how to go about the questions, 
I felt so depressed that it makes me say things mm -hmm. because I, you know, there are times when too depressed to say I'm depressed because yeah. it takes hold. So I felt frustrated, not at you, just mm -hmm. at the whole, I wanted this to go well mm -hmm. without any disturbances and I wanted to respect your time and my time and mm -hmm. then you told me about the interview and I was like oh man I got depressed that I even did not remember mm -hmm. that last part so yeah. I wanted to fully clarify mm -hmm. our interaction earlier not to ignore what you just said mm -hmm. but I felt that that needed to be said sure sure yeah I appreciate that and I'm so glad to be here with you. I'm, I'm so grateful that you've invited me to talk about this. Thank you. And th thank, thank you, um, because I wanted to, um, because you're doing so well, I, I my questions are combinations of the other ones you've asked. Uh-huh. So, because you already answered the writing the memoir part, pretty much figured that out. You got the cause of compassion. But okay, the mental health illness is the most expensive illnesses in healthcare according to statistics. What made you what makes you um think that way? I'm curious. I mean, talk about disability costs and turnover and employees. I mean employee engagement. You have employees at the desk who are not engaged in their work, therefore not performing, or even worse, they hit a crisis or burnout and then they're out of work and companies are paying for it in disability costs. I mean, organizations have this going on whether or not they wanna look at it. Mm. And there's actually been reports of people burning out more so working from home during the pandemic because they don't have they don't have the commute, so they're working around the clock. We don't have the freedom we had to go on vacation and decompress or take time off and decompress because we have no place really to go. So employees are burning out. Um, so it's really important that companies get clear this is costing their bottom line in productivity and in disability costs. So what is it that they could be doing beyond just giving an employee an 800 hotline to, to call. They, now is the time during a pandemic, they should do a little bit more for them and really help keep their employees um, engaged and feeling good. Yeah, well, I would just free flow now. You know, it's that kind of interviews we're having. That, those are the best guests to have, so I thank you. Um, I guess say that there has been an issue of workaholism in my own family mm -hmm. way before the pandemic that I started seeing signs of that. Like I one of, I was actually fearful at one point of having a regular job because I would hear adults as a, as a kid, they would talk about how bad these co-workers are in the boss and I are and I'm on the autism spectrum I have mm -hmm. special, I have, I'm, I'm special needs you know I have the diagnosis so mm -hmm. I was extra concerned about will I have your same realities and will they be harsher to me because of my diagnosis 
Yeah. Thus, the concerning signs, and then this pandemic just blew it out the water. Oh, my. It's worse than I saw and thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's where we have to do a good job of making sure we choose the right organization that we want to be a part of as much as we want to be where they pick us to be. You know, you, I always say this, and I know, you know, some people would argue with me, but you're interviewing a company just as much as they're interviewing you. You want to be part of a culture that is inclusive of people with all abilities, or do you want to work for a company that is, is back 20 years ago and doesn't know what it means to be, have diversity and inclusion in their population and their employee population, you know? And, and it, and it, and it caused what you said reminds me of a term I just learned, two terms, person-centered and heart-centered. Yes. And that has been liberating to my sense of mental health when I'm the person because I remember being in work environments when I was working. I saw people being treated as machines and they did not want to be there. They were just relaxing on the job, just eating and gossiping. I said to myself, wow, something's not right about this world of work. I, I didn't say it, but I was thinking it. Yeah. Because I saw, basically I saw sedentary lifestyles on the job. Yeah. When offices were open. And that's also alarming. And when you saw them, you noticed their health was noticeably regressing as kindly as I can put it. But you can go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, you got to do what's right for you and figure out if you could create those boundaries, those healthy boundaries for yourself and, and stay in that environment or not. For me, um, I, I'm grateful for my years in the corporate space, but I'm so present to how grateful I am to have my own company and work my own hours and work hard for me instead of hard for someone else and, right. dictate, and dictate the balance that I need in my life, whether it's, I'm going to like yesterday was gorgeous in New Jersey. So I took the afternoon off and I went to the beach because I knew that was good for my soul to walk on the beach and be in nature for a part of the day and have the freedom to do that. So it's, it's all about personal boundaries and taking care of yourself. And if a, if a business or, a, you know, having your own business can give you the freedom to do that. Great. If you work in an organization that you have the time off that you can balance that and you have boundaries where you know you're going to stop working at a certain time, then all the power to you. But we have to take care of us. If we don't take care of us, then, you know, we're in trouble. <laughs> right. And I think some people on the job are depressed because they have a entrepreneurial spirit because this is what I've came up with by researching some people work for somebody else for some time then they do their own thing then other people have been in a situation they're better off as employees Mm -hmm. I think some of the depression is a lot of people don't know which pathway are they on right because you're taught when you're younger uh, get your degree, get your diploma, 
get and they say preferably nine to five. I don't really recommend a part time. You know, some people need part time, some people need full time. Right? We're all diverse. But mm -hmm. then lately there has been the conversation of you have to have your own. And and a lot of people figure out, but I may be better for employee, I may be better for company head, and they just they're struggling. Yeah. Yeah. I think you gotta that's when I would tell someone to go within. If someone said that to me, go within and find out what what makes your heart sing. You know, instead of trading time for money, mm -hmm. you, should be, you should be doing some inner work to find out what is it that makes your heart sing and how do you make a living at it? Yes, yes. Oh, we, we'll we'll wrap up at two o'clock in five minutes. Yeah, I'm, I'm really honoring your time. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, and I and I was lately I've been thinking about the entrepreneurial spirit I have during mm -hmm. this during this uh, pandemic. I started my book series, mm -hmm. and I started podcasting. And I didn't allow the whole, well, I don't have this, I don't have that, yeah. I've been through this and that. I said, the most beautiful things start during the most ugliest of times. Isn't that true? So right. true. Mm -hmm. And I said, mm -hmm. I, I've always had the goal of eventually paying myself. Yeah. Instead of having a set salary. Mm -hmm. If I have my own platforms, I make what the public gives me, which I think is better for me because it's a lot easier for me to handle the rising cost phenomenon that's happening. Right. And using my hobbies and gifts really do a beautiful service to my mental health. And I'm just excited about that, those things. Awesome. Yep. Yeah, I mean, innovation is born out of some of the most challenging times, you know? Right, right. And <laughs> I really appreciate that we got to talk about this. Yeah, me too. Because it's liberating to know that there are other people who care about states of mind mm -hmm. and how it affects socialization professionalism, everything. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Really great. Thank you. And um, I always do this at the closing of every interview. Um, I know we had earlier what we had earlier, but overall, did you feel safe? Absolutely. Good. Um, did you did you feel respected? Absolutely. Good. Now, this is a this is me taking a positive risk. I think potentially you could be a good friend down the road. Do you feel the same or do you think more colleague? I'm trying to understand how you think on that. What do you mean? Because, you know, like we've been talking do you think potentially a good friend between you and I sure or... okay okay <laughs> sure why not <laughs> thank you because I, I don't like assuming people's boundaries sure I get it 
I appreciate you. Um, well, any last words before we go? Um, if you want to reach out to me, I welcome when people reach out to me, you can reach out to me at my email address, which is Michelle E V Dickinson. That's M I C H E L L E E V D I C K I N S O N at gmail.com. Reach out to me. If you're interested in a free copy of my book, I'll be happy to send it to you plus shipping. And if I can help you with your organizations, create more cultures of compassion and resilience, feel free to reach out to me as well. I have a website called careforyourpeople.com. Awesome. Well, I hope to stay in touch with you. Awesome. And then, you know, if I see you in person, that would be great. Awesome. Thank you, Antonio. Thank you, Michelle. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. So uh, this is the Antonio Time Daily Show. I am the host, Antonio Myers. I am with, what is your name? So I can, won't butcher it. Fala Shadidan Oketola. Nice to meet you, Fola. Nice to meet you, Antonio. So we're talking about neurodiversity today. Yes. So That's what? Right. Thank you. So what is your background concerning neurodiversity? Okay, well, the first thing is that I, um, okay, well, I started to have a greater interest in it when my own daughter got diagnosed. Although before my daughter got her diagnosis, um, I had always had interest in children. I had worked with children for quite a while as a caregiver, a kindergarten nurse. And so I had had, um, you know, experience with different children and diverse, with diverse personalities and all of that. But, you know, then I did it just for um, as an interest. But then when I started to have kids and my daughter had some delays, developmental delays. It started with her speech. She was non-verbal for a while. And then when we started to do our, um, her assessment and she, it came out that she is autistic, that's when I, my interest you know, was piqued. And then I decided that, okay, maybe now is the time to talk about it more. So not just from a point of knowledge, but also from a point of experience, because one from knowing about it, from working with other people's children and then now having, you know, a child who also is neurodiverse. Wow. I think that that is incredible um, for your interest to be that compassionate for your child that you decided to self-educate. I, I commend you. Thank you. You're welcome. Like, I have an interest in neurodiversity myself. I learned about it in college because, you know, I'm an autistic person. Yes. And I went to a college, Beacon College, the nation's only four-year institution for students with learning differences. Um, so even in college, I was still in special education. And so I would read books about neurodiversity 
And it makes sense if you have like different flavors of ice cream or different personalities, then you have diverse brains. And it dawned on me that autism is not to be cured, but it's a gift to be celebrated. That's correct. I share your opinion about that. And that's one of the things I have had to explain to people. And, you know, in the West, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's easier, but people are a lot more understanding than Africa, where I was born. There's still a lot of stigmatization. This isn't to say that it isn't in the West, but it's higher in Africa because there's still a lot of educating to be done. There are still so many people who do not understand what it means to be neurodiverse. So we you still have to keep talking about it, which is one of the reasons why I have started to talk about it because I know that so many parents who have kids that are neurodiverse are not as open to talk about it as I am doing. And I understand that because of the stigmatization that is attached to it. Wow, because I never heard much about um, where where you're from, Africa, right? That's correct, Nigeria. Okay, I never heard Nigeria and autism um, being merged together. Because um, I, I always knew that there were like schools um mostly a gent from like boys to girls some co-ed like i knew oprah had a school mm-hmm. somewhere in the in the motherland but i never knew that in nigeria there's not a lot of comprehension about autism or diversity so i i'm a, you're educating me <laughs> Well, the good thing is that now um, quite a number of people are starting to talk about it, but it's still not enough. There are still, you know, people who will give you that nasty look when, for instance, if your child has a meltdown in the supermarket, for instance, they would give you that judgmental look because they would rather, they would see it as you probably have a spoiled child or you haven't trained your child well. And that's because they do not understand what it is, you, you know. So to an extent, I think that not being knowledgeable about it explains people's reaction to it. And then there is also the second part, which is some people who have heard about it, who know a bit about it, but who believe that you can cure it if you, for instance, take your child to the church for prayers, you know, like they think that religion is able to cure autism. So we also have that category of people. But now I am happy that that we have more people who are talking about it and doing the best that they can within their community to educate people and let them know that it's okay to embrace people who are different from you. Wow, it reminds me of when a child will have seizures and they are accused of being demon-possessed. And I hear that demon 
the demon possession label was given to kids who what what we would call autistic today and there's this sense of if you are believing strong enough then you know god will remove your um autism or any um way of not being what society ex typically expects so thank you for bringing that up because i think that many people still believe that today which is very concerning that's correct that's correct and the and the other the thing about that also thinking that it can be cured is that it then makes some parents who have you know, parents of children who are um, autistic or have other forms of disability, it's rather than start early intervention for their children, they start to, you know, pray and take them to prayer house, houses, hoping that these things can be prayed away or, you know, like they, hoping that they can find answers in those places. And so what I tell people now is that it's okay to pray. I'm not telling you not to pray. It's okay to pray. I'm a Christian myself. But what I am saying is that when you pray, you must remember that God created your child. And as you pray, remember to give your child the, the right support. Let your child have access to therapy if you can afford it. Let your child see professionals while you pray. Don't pray and leave the important parts, which is support. Wow. Um, I'm just, I'm tremendously blessed what you said, uh, because to have a, a faith, you have a faith that moves mountains, and to connect that with there's a reason why God allowed your child to have this gift. I mean, that, that means a lot to me. So I want to thank you for um, being poetic about that. Are you still there? Yes, I am. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, and I also want to say that I appreciate that you've thought about how prayer would work in the situation and how it can be about the well-being of the child instead of trying to change the child. That's correct. When did you come to that conclusion or what event inspired you to think that those ways? Okay, one of the things that I would say helped me was that, you know, when I was studying my program to become um, an early childhood educator, because I studied that in Finland, and um, one of the things that we learned was that like if you have to help a child as a caregiver 
you should learn to look at things from the child's point of view because it will help. And so, you know, when I, when I also started to learn about different childhood disorders, those were also some of the things that we realized that you should know that it's not about you, but it's about the person who is affected. I, I, I don't know if that's the correct word to use now. And I realized that, you know, one of the things that can happen is this. If we don't learn to understand that. So I, first of all, I'll say that, um, let me put, start from saying that. I'd, so from there, I had gotten the knowledge that it is what it is. You can't change it. It is what it is. But with the right support, with the right kind of help, and especially if you start early, people who are autistic can live fulfilled lives. And then I started to look at, okay, are there people who are doing amazing things out there who are autistic? And yes, there are lots of examples. And look at you, Antonia, this is you too. I like, I am having a conversation with you. And having this conversation with you also is something that also gives me, you know, a sense of hope for my own daughter and every other child that I have come across who is autistic and who is still young now or probably still non-verbal. And so one of the things I've just realized is that, so what all of that has taught me from books, from study and from experience is that autism is what it is and you just have to accept it. Now, I must be honest with you that acceptance is, it doesn't come easy for everybody. Like for me, in my case, it was quite easy because I already had the knowledge and I do not expect another mother to find it as easy as I did. It would be unfair for me to expect that every mom will be like me. However, I encourage them that see, it is what it is. Your child is autistic. Then start to think of ways to support your child. Start to think of ways to help them. Don't try to change your child into, that's why now I tell people that I'm not even sure if there's anything like normal because even those people who are neurotypical have weaknesses and strengths. And it's the same thing with autistic children and adults. They have weaknesses and they have strengths. So when we, be, when we learn to accept that, that is the way the world is, that we will not all react the same way to the same situation. Our brains are different and that somebody's, the way somebody will think is different from mine, doesn't make me better than that person. Then I think the world will become a better place and it will be easy for us to be able to accommodate each other. Wow. Wow. I'm just beautifully blown away with every word you said. I am in strong agreement with you 100%. I, I don't have, I mean, my heart is really glad that I give you and your family and other families hope. Thank you for pointing that out that Wow. Thank you for thank you for doing what you're doing because what you're doing now, you may not know it, but you are giving, like now I see you already as somebody that I can point towards and tell another mom that see, this is Antonio. Antonio is autistic and look at what he's doing. So you know, like 
It gives people hope. So seeing you do what you do and every other person who is autistic and not letting it stop them from doing amazing things, you know, there are the stories, there are the success stories that people like us who still have younger kids look up to. Wow. I was smiling the whole time you were speaking. Because, yes, a, a label doesn't stop me from being an outstanding role model because I am traveling gradually and naturally in my own transparency and authenticity. Yes, autistic people, we can be honest people and people of empathy too. That's yeah. correct. That's correct. Thank you. I want to tell the audience um, how we were drawn to each other. Um, okay. <laughs> I, <laughs> I saw, I think we were on, we met on Clubhouse. Yes, that's correct. And I think I started speaking and you started speaking we're in the same room and I looked at your bio after you were talking, because I think he followed me first. Um, no, I don't remember who followed who first, but I know that you reached out first anyway. <laughs> this is true. Now that, that for sure. And I said, wow. I, uh, I reached out to you on Instagram and said, okay, I need her perspective on my show because this is a much needed talked about topic so here we are <laughs> that's true what would be your side of the story <laughs> <laughs> okay yes that's true i remember that we were in a, um, a room at clubhouse and um i do not remember which one in particular because i have been in so many rooms <laughs> about <laughs> this game but I remember there was a particular one that you came in because that's also the thing. I have always liked to hear the stories of adults, or young adults, or, you know, who say that they are autistic and they share their stories. And yes, I, when you came into the room that day, and at first I didn't even look at your bio until I heard you speak. And then I said, wow, okay, yes, this is another person I really want to listen to. I always like to listen when, because... You know, it's a different thing when you speak about it from, from this end. And mm -hmm. it's different when somebody who is living with the situation talks about it. So I am always, always interested to hear people when they talk about their experiences and share their um, autism stories. And so when you spoke that day, I listened with keen interest. And so when I think I checked out your bio on Instagram and then I followed you. Um, of course, there wasn't so much on your page at, at the time, um, but I followed you anyway because I knew I also wanted it to be that I would be able to see you if you have to speak in other rooms because I think that's the way Clubhouse is. When I, if you follow somebody, then you get to see when they are speaking. And I knew that I would like to hear you speak again. And then when you reached out to me in, on, on Instagram in the DM and you, talked, you said you would like us to have a conversation and you know we chatted a, a bit, and I was like, yes, I really want to do this. I would like to speak with Antonio and you know, hear 
all that he has to say. And here we are. And I'm glad that we did. Um, by the way, I'm a stickler for accents. I really enjoy your accent, by the way. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, yeah, I, I, and I'm, and and it means a lot to have, uh, you know, black people really invested in this, because it's, because in our community, I notice we tend to feel more than other communities that something wrong happened or that's you know in the womb did something negatively occur or was I not positive enough and we try to blame the environment and nothing went wrong it's just that we all have unique cognitive functioning that's correct and um you're right because if I must I'm honest with you, when I when I started to notice the um, autistic traits in my daughter, one of the questions I started to ask myself was, okay, did anything did anything go wrong at some point? And that's the thing. Like I mentioned about acceptance, like even though I knew that it wasn't anything that I could have done wrong, but you just want to find answers. You want to you want to satisfy your curiosity as to why it is what it is, but it didn't take me quite long to just remind myself again that no, it's nothing that I did. It's it's just that I have a child who is different and who is not going to see the world the way that I do, and that's it. And I remember I was talking with another mom who also mm -hmm. has an autistic daughter about the same age as mine. And you know, while we spoke, she was telling me that she feels that her daughter is autistic because she cried a lot during her pregnancy, that she 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 she, she was, um, you know, was always in a very sad mood throughout the pregnancy. And so she would always blame herself that it's because I was crying throughout the pregnancy, that's why my daughter is autistic. And I said to her, no. Don't ever blame yourself. It has nothing to do with you crying. And I, and I told her that this isn't just to make you feel better, but this is to let you know that it is what it is. I had an amazing pregnancy. I was happy most of the time, save for the times that I probably didn't have appetite, but my pregnancy was quite easy. And I have an autistic daughter, you know? So, and so I just told, told, tried to tell, explain to her that don't be sad. Don't try to blame yourself. You didn't cause it. Your daughter is who she is and you are who you are. It has nothing to do with what you did or did not do. So that's the thing. I, it, and um, so that's where another thing that we also have to educate people about, especially mothers, that it's not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. I have heard stories where I, um, you know, some husbands unfortunately have been very unsupportive of their wives because they feel that they have an autistic child because of something that the wife must have done and that's not the case so parents generally need to know that it's nothing that the dad or the mom did 
it is just what it is. I see that you are a sunshine light on the lives of many people. You have a life coaching spirit and you also have a team player's heart and you are able to help other people glow and you help yourself glow when you need it. And I thought of when you said unsupported, I've heard of stories of fathers uh, walking out on the mother and the child because of the diagnosis. True. And, and that that is a, I, 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 I can't even fathom that high degree of cruelty. And to know that you stood by your child and you're helping another mom stand by hers. And I like how you were vulnerable about the reality of pregnancy how it's not always fun so i i do appreciate what you're saying thank you for the kind words you're you're welcome and then um i remember when i first started this podcast i did have a trepidation over could I truly be a light to people, n them knowing that I have autism? Could I really be a good host? Could I really get people interested in talking with me about what needs to be uh, conversed about? And I'm glad that I was able to be reassured through myself, my friends, and people like you. I must tell you that you're doing an amazing job. You know, when I when you told me when, while we chatted that you have you host a podcast, like I, if only you could have seen me at the other end of you know the chat. Like I was like, this is amazing. You know, because these are the stories I like to hear and also like to share with people. You know, so you are doing an amazing job, and I must let you know that as a mom to. Um, an autistic daughter, you are encouraging me and letting me see that my daughter can be, of course, I have always had that conviction that she can be whatever she wants to be and she will always have my support. But, you know, seeing what you are doing right now, you know, increases my hope that I am right to think that my daughter can be whatever she wants to be. Ah. I'm just taking in all of the truths that you're saying. Yes, you know, that. I'm so glad you came on. This has been the highlight of my whole day today. I'm happy uh, to hear that. Thank you. To, to, to be a person who is selfless, Mm. Especially the people who have been made to feel insignificant in life. All I can do is breathe a sense of relief. It's okay. Because, you know, at the end of the day, 
what I try to tell people is this, that sometimes what we just need is empathy. And if you think that you, you don't have enough strength to have empathy towards somebody else, then the least you can do is not to make them feel less of themselves. And that's why I, one of the reasons why I have been quite outspoken about autism lately, for a really long time, I was shy, I must say. Now, maybe not shy, but I wondered what people would think. And what the, the day that I told myself that, see, it really doesn't matter. If I do this for just one mother out there, if I am able to encourage one, just one mom out there for her to know that it's okay for you to be, be bold with your child, it's okay for you to talk about what you are dealing with, don't hide your child, because that's one of the things that happens, you know, some mothers don't take their children out. I, I, so I try to encourage the few that I talk to, see, take your child, take, take the child to the store, go grocery shopping with, shopping with your child. I'm not saying it's going to be easy because I mean, I have experienced what it can be like if, if the environment, you know, turns the other way around and your child has a meltdown. But then hiding your child from the world does not help. No child is able to thrive in isolation. So your child still needs to see the world and in his own or her own way, will find a way to cope and adapt. You can't take autism away from your child. So somehow your child will be able to adapt in this world and live his or her own unique life. So I think that what we can do is to just be kind because when we, are, when we learn to be kind and not just towards people who are neurodiverse, but everybody, once we can learn to kindness to people, then I think that the world will become a better place for all of us, whether or not we are neurotypical or neurodiverse or whatever it is, because everybody has something they are struggling with, whether or not you are autistic. And it's just important for me that people should just learn to be kind and learn to say kind words because it will go a long way. It will lift the spirits of a parent who is one who is still questioning themselves as to why they have autistic children. Because you know, when they know that nobody's going to judge them, then it's easy for them to speak about what they are dealing with. But because they are afraid of being judged, so many moms still don't want to talk about it. And I understand. And I always tell people that it's okay at your own time. I remember when I first wanted to start talking about our own autism, autism journey with autism, my daughter, I reached out to a friend who shared with me when I told her about uh, my own story that her son is also autistic. Her son is older than my daughter. And then I said to her, you know what? I think we should start talking about this thing more. Like imagine that we have spoken for a long time, but you have never mentioned to me that your son is autistic until I shared my story with you. And then I said, this means that there are probably so many people out there too who are scared of sharing their stories. And I think that the more we talk about it, the more people will hear about it. And then hopefully they will become accepting of what autism is. But, you know, she said to me that, no, I don't think I want to talk about it. That um, I think I'd rather wait when my son is old enough and maybe I see that he's doing fine, then maybe then. And I respected 
that decision because I understand what it, what it can feel like not to want to face stigmatization because there are so many unkind people out there who would say unkind things and not everybody is able to withstand people be saying unkind things to them. It can be very disheartening. And so that's the reality of so many parents right now. Wow. Oh, wow. Some people are better at being advocates in the back seat, and then there are some people better being advocates in the front seat. And then it's amazing how the beauty of starting a miraculous conversation just by sharing something on your heart and it's in sync with another person because that kind of conversation starting it breaks down the walls of misery it starts having um you know the fears be tumbled down and i appreciate how you have this courage to be able to take a take a monumental risk of relating to a person in that kind of way and the response they gave you it was a meant to be kind of reaction and when you talked about kindness earlier i i figured out how to be to balance self-kindness with being kind to other people and I thought about, you know, my being autistic, um, there are times where I felt that I wasn't needed or wanted. And now I recognize that I'm way more needed and wanted than I could ever imagine. So I, I'm in solidarity with you. Yeah. I, I, I would like to just tell you not to ever second guess yourself. You are important. And like I mentioned already, that what you're doing is also important in helping so many other parents there. And I just hope that the more we talk about it, not only will people be aware, but they'll also be accepting. Yeah acceptance whoo that's one that's something i am very much sensitive to because I, I it took me years to fully accept myself i would say i i constantly say i fully accept myself and this pandemic time has really helped i had so much time to reflect so i've grown a lot be, you know, during the time span of when the pandemic started to now, I have matured, seriously matured. So now I see my autism as a super blessing. That's what I like to say. It, it, because my autism is one of the big reasons why I'm endeared to people and why they're endeared to me. It, it truly is your super blessing. 
And uh, is there anything more you wanted to say? Because I don't have any more questions. Okay, well, the only thing I probably would want to say is that um, if we have any parent who's listening to us right now and who has a child that is autistic, I just want them to know that it's not easy, but it does get better. It really does get better. And, um, and that's one of the things that we can do is to give our children the right support it's, you know, and then maybe um, what else I would say is that not to have for each time, because I think one of the things that can, that I have noticed also is that we may sometimes have high expectation of our autistic children. And that's because we are thinking of it from our own point of view. So we should learn to always address all of this situation from sometimes from the child's point of view so that that way we know how best to support and assist our children and of course i also want people to know that the worst thing that can happen to anybody is not to have an autistic child or autistic sibling but instead to raise a child that is unkind and cruel to another person so I think that's very important that if we all can raise our children to be kind, then no parents who has a neurodiverse child would worry about hiding their children from the world. Mm, mm, wow, that was powerful because blessings are meant to be distributed and not hidden. Wow. So I think that's that's one thing that I think it's very important that people have to know. That just teach your children to be kind. If you don't have a child that is autistic or has any form, you know, form of disability, it's not enough for you to turn your eyes the other way. If you are raising kind children, then the world is a better place for everybody. To be able to start helping them be humane when they're young, it would eradicate so many of the destructiveness that's running rampant in our globe today. I, I so agree on that. Um, now, I always ask my guests this towards the end of the interview. Did you feel safe during the whole interview? Yes, I did. <laughs> Good. Did you feel respected the entire time? Yes, I did. What was your favorite part of our interview? I liked the, I liked how we could um, have this conversation and be able to relate with the topic from your end and from my end and also that we could share our different perspectives and you know, share our different perspectives and still understand each other. And the highlight of it for, for me is also to hear you say that, you know, how you eventually accepted yourself and know that you are doing something that is worthwhile. That's the highlight for me. I like that you know that you're doing something worthwhile and that autism is your super blessing. Mm. 
Um, I since one last one. Um, I see you as a very good friend. Um, would you agree or disagree? Paula, I, I'm I'm sorry. Now I see you as a very good friend. Now, would you agree or disagree? If I am a very good friend. Oh no, I was talking about. I see you as a very good friend. Do you mean to you or generally? So I'm sorry, I did if I didn't get that quite correctly. Uh, I was just saying, I just see you as a very good friend. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, I have people tell me that too. So, so <laughs> um, I accept the compliment. Now, do you see me as a very good friend? Yes, I do. I see you as, as an amazing person and I respect what you're doing. And I am very much thankful for you. And I'm... And I'm I'm very encouraged by your neurodiversity advocacy. And I hope to see you in person one day soon. Well, yeah. when all this clears up, but I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yes, when all of this is over, hopefully <laughs> the world, well, I don't know if the world is going to go back to normal, but when the world is, let's see what, it's, what it becomes after all of this. <laughs> Agreed. I'll, well, it was nice talking to you, Fola. I, I hope to see you in Clubhouse some more. And stay in touch, okay? Definitely. And anytime, feel free, feel free to drop me a message. Oh, I definitely will. You do the same, okay? That's fine. <laughs> All right. Take care. It was, it was nice talking to you. Take care.